0: This is a Mirakami minute presented by the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. Hey there, we are back with uh, a Mirakami minute. Been a minute. It's been a minute. I am your host, Caleb James. With me today, he doesn't get a name on these episodes. Spencer Church. Yep, you're just me. Spencer Church.
1: That's just knowing me.
0: I did listen to the intro playback of the last Mirakami minute, and I said your name very aggressively. Yeah. For some
1: reason, I was like Spencer Church, like a wrestling promo. I don't know why.
0: Today, this is actually a special Mirakami Minute. I don't know what I'm going to title this as of yet, but it's more of a, a grievances. Yeah. Like a festivist airing of grievances. I like that idea. So we have a special guest, someone who's actually been to Japan and maybe I maybe he's read more Mirakami than me. I'm not sure. But the author of the Inspector Iwata trilogy, which is comprised of Blue Light Yokohama, Sins of Scarlet, and Unknown male, and also the newest novel, The Sugar Man, which comes out in the uk november of 2024 so yeah i'm assuming this episode is gonna be uh, aired monday yeah (laughs) or tuesday when this will be out the the following week i'm not gonna make this a special friday release our guest today and again i think it's the third or fourth time you've been on nicholas obergon thank you for joining us
2: thank you very much sir yeah i'm like a regular veteran now
0: Well, we've been discussing the airing of these certain grievances toward Mirakami for a while now. You were supposed to come, I think, last year to do this, but we just never got around to it. And then you had a a fancy podcast of your own, a true crime podcast come out that, I don't know if it's award-winning, but I'm going to say award-winning because I really like
2: it. Award-nominated.
0: There you yeah. go. Award nominated, and that was yeah. faceless. Yeah, that was that was a really good. You're doing a follow up, aren't you, or another?
2: Yes, yeah, so I'm. I'm trying to pitch it now because interesting things have happened, Ooh. which I could tell you about. Then I'd have to kill
0: you. Yeah, that could be off-air discussion. I don't want to be murdered. Right, yeah. right. Right. Yeah. Though you are in what Spain right <laughs> now? Say again you You're in Spain right now.
2: Yes, I am in Madrid, Spain, not Madrid, Nebraska.
0: So, yeah, if you wanted to kill us, that's going to take a while. It's going to (laughs) be a couple layovers.
2: At least, yeah.
0: So where we last left off with Mirakami, we read his first two novels. Uh, Spencer here has only read First Person Singular, The Elephant Vanishes, um, Pinball 1970-something or other, and that's not the first one. What's the first one? I don't remember, now. Do
1: this. Do something No,
0: slippery nipples i don't
1: no. i don't remember <laughs> uh,
0: were the first two novels the first two novels from Mirakami. well in the edition we have it's a split a fl- yeah it's a flip book yeah you flip the book over and you have the first two novels but pinball 1970 whatever year it is is a uh it ends with some mirakami elements that uh me and nick are obviously more familiar with than you You've only had a touch with some of his weirder stories. Mm-hmm. But as uh, me and Nick discussed off air for a while now, one of the grievances, which I do have to admit, I have this grievance as well. Once you read Amirakami books, like his main books, like uh, Wind Up Bird Chronicle, I would even put 1Q84 in there. Uh, Norwegian mm-hmm. Wood is actually the least magical realism of his stuff that uh, I think I've read. Not necessarily the mo- like, out of the popular ones. It's like Sputnik Sweetheart, I don't remember being too uh, like overly magical realism and stuff like that. But the point is, jazz, cats, a guy that doesn't spaghetti. have a job, spaghetti, <laughs> yes, um, <yeah. laughs> you get the same themes and elements <laughs> that come up in almost every book, it seems like. But also, if you read them back to back, or if you're just like, I'm going to go in a Mirakami binge, it's like you're reading the same book over and over, just a different story or a different plot. I will say he does not experiment with style as far as I've read. And, I mean, depending on if you're like a Stephen King fan, maybe you're fine with that. Maybe you don't mind that he doesn't veer away and try something completely different. I personally like when writers do things that's not in their wheelhouse where they try different things. So, Nick, I'm going to I'm gonna lend you the grievance. I don't know. Chablis? I don't, I didn't Isn't think there I, a pole? A pole? I don't remember yeah. what it is. I think it's just an aluminum pole. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you have to hold it when you air out your grievances. It helps.
2: I think with Murakami, so I said before we started this, like, I'm really conflicted because, and, and I'm sure he'll console himself with the gold bullion he's got and his millions of fans. But I, I used to really love him. Um, I first came to him when I was about 13 or 14. I went into Waterstones, which is one of the big sort of book chains in the UK. And I picked up this book and it was Hard Wonderland and the End of the World, which, For me, it's kind of like an outlier in that there's a lot of the kind of Murakami-isms in there where it's sort of like, you know, kind of semi-sci-fi stuff is going on, but also it's quite deadpan at the same time. So it's like not leaning into like gizmos and flying cars and stuff, but you get the feeling that it is occurring in another kind of world. And to me, this voice, this place, you know, it, it felt like I was kind of exploring Japan for the first time outside of dubbed anime. And that was and video games that was that was all I had up until that point right so once you've seen like akira once you've seen ghosts in the shell once you've like played these video games to me it really felt like I, for the first time a door was opening and i was like this is a japanese story from a japanese voice so for me at 13 14 it blew me away and i kind of started going through his bibliography and like you say where he starts off i think his first novel is published in 1979 which is like to think that he's starting in 79, like a good five, six years clear of my birth. And I'm picking him up at 13. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy's so fresh, right? By the time I get to my mid-20s and I've gone through the big hits and you you read Norwegian Woods, you know, Kafka on the shore. Even by that point, I'm like, like you say, okay, there's a middle-aged guy who's listening to jazz and something is missing, maybe a cat, maybe his wife. And there's a teenage girl who, as teenage girls always do, are incredibly attractive to, like, plain middle-aged men. Yep. Um, and he's just, like, wanking up, can I swear? He's just sort of, like, getting off <laughs> over their earlobes, which, like, after seven or eight books, you're like, dude, you got to stop with the ears, man. Like, yeah. No shame, but, like, get a different thing.
0: Also write some of the okay. worst sex scenes I've yeah. read.
2: Yeah, man. And I mean... I'm I think in general, like like violence, if you're going to write sex scenes, kind of less is more. Like the imagination goes a long way. You kind of you do the alien principle where the shadow is scarier Mm. than actually seeing. (laughs) But he doesn't do that, man. He's like, here are my balls. This is what's happening, you know.
0: And that's not hyperbole because he actually use like he does how he does the mundane oh i'm cooking spaghetti he writes some of his sex scenes like that and it's always words like boner and balls (laughs) it's not sexy at all but then it's always a middle-aged guy so you're like it's not nobody wants to see him fucking anyway it's just it's not the best
2: a real kind of like dad element to it yeah you know just sort of and you know all of that to basically say that even by my mid-20s where like I, i it was not like i was some bastion of like maturity you know it was not like i was above being into these things even by that point i was like i'm kind of over this so i think if the if the shelf life of what i thought was unique was actually maybe like about a decade i don't know i I feel like part of the reason why he is so successful is actually because he's not necessarily super japanese whatever that is he's actually quite kind of palatable to to a western Audience, which I think is part of his success, right? You, you look at the amount of, like, references to, like, whether it's, like, The Beatles or Charlie Parker, or, and that's, you know, just in music, let alone when you get to, like, books and stuff. A lot of it is really kind of like this could read like, a, like an American author. It just happens to be set in, in Japan, you know? Basically, to go to your original point, that shelf life of this is the same book and it just feels like I've returned a month later to the same dude and now his cat's missing right and then a year later his wife's left him and you know what i mean i just you Mm. you reach a point where success is success and that's great but so like i'm not you know who am i to say it's not working but you reach a point where you're just like tell me a different story now man because you can he does he is a craftsman there are certain things he's written where you're like this guy is an artist but it kind of feels a lot of the time where some of these books are just phoned in i don't know if you guys feel that way but some of them you're just like, man, you didn't put as much effort
0: into this. Yeah, you know? some of his like, um, South of the Border, West of the Sun, I thought was really boring and just it, it just wasn't very good. And I've come across a couple because now that I'm finished all his major works, I'm I've been reading his lesser known ones and or at least less popular ones, and yeah, they're just not the best. And it's just like this guy just wanted a paycheck, I think. But uh, right. hear the wind Sing, we discussed on that episode.
2: That was his first one, right? Yeah.
0: He wrote that he didn't like the way it came out. He was, tr- he was trying to be too literary. So he rewrote it in English, which his, his English at the time was limited. And that's actually how he ended up winning whatever a literary award for that and mm-hmm. you know, took off, so to speak, because he wrote it in a completely non-Japanese way because right. he couldn't use the same language he wanted to use in Japanese. He couldn't be as literary. Right. And it was completely new. To the Japanese audience at the time. Now I've read some Japanese, uh more modern Japanese authors that kinda maybe they were inspired by Mirakami. They write in a similar tone. There is one aspect I think is important to bring up with these grievances though, is the translations. I've come right. across a few translations where he uses generally the same translators. Like his most uh his most modern translator, I think, is Jay Rubin. Yeah. I think Rubin he does most not. of his his uh translations as of late. I think even maybe from the eighties on. But like that Alfred bum something or other. Yeah. His are a little more they're a little dull, a little blander. Uh and I forget the other guy that I've read, uh, he didn't leave much of an impact on me, but I do often wonder if we lose something in the translations, because one thing we oh, always 100%. mention on here is mirakami himself says he likes to read his books in the English translations because it's like reading a completely different book with the same
2: plot. Hundred percent, man. And you know, this is something where like I I've lived this too. Like when I I had my book translated into Spanish. My first book, I picked it up and read it. And there's a there's a little throwaway line in like the first or second chapter, where it's it's like it's like a nothing line, but it's talking about Inspector Iwata leaving his crappy little apartment and then going downstairs to the to the lot to get his car, which is a 1979 black Isuzu coupe or coupe, as you guys would say. And the point is, is that he's got this kind of objectively like a sports car. But it's in bad condition because he's not taking care of it, right? So the line is on bullshit line. It's something like, you know, even though it had rarely seen the inside of a garage, right? And in the UK, garage is like the workshop, right? Like if you take the car to the garage, you're taking it to be serviced. So even though the car had rarely seen the inside of the garage, he would still get notes from his neighbor in the windscreen trying to buy it, right? So it's like, it's a nothing line. The translator, and this is not to criticize her, but in Spanish, garaje means the, the parking lot. So she translated that to, and he parked the car outside. So when I'm saying he had rarely seen the inside of a garage, right? it's like, oh, he'd rarely seen the inside of a shower. What I'm saying is the guy doesn't shower, right? Yeah. She took it to mean, oh, he parks outside, because that was the closest thing that she could make it make sense to. And that's one tiny throwaway little thing, which has completely changed my meaning. Now, that's between Spanish and English, which you know yeah fairly easy conversion but yeah exactly it's not like you know we use the same alphabet google is going to make some mistakes with context but broadly it's not a million miles away when you've got a completely different writing system when the order in which words go is completely different like i've been doing duolingo with japanese for 200 days now and i can tell you the more you know like the less you know right Mm -hmm. that's one silly little example imagine that over like since 1979 all the way to now you imagine how many like Instances he's got where he's like, that's not really what I'm in, but okay. You know, again, like you say, I don't know what his English level is like. So maybe he's just rolling with it. I don't know. Well, to he's me,
0: actually, I- he actually translates uh like the great Gatsby, I think he translated into Japanese. Like they pay him to do oh, English. Really? So he's more than proficient now. But even so, you're going to miss things. And what I think is even more troublesome, like you had trouble with just a throwaway line. What about right. dense metaphor and like the Japanese oh. metaphors too? I mean, there's a lot in the Japanese language that we don't have an English equivalent for or Spanish or any other language. But I can't imagine some of the even just if you read some haikus and you read the like the Japanese version to English, there's so many different translations of the same haiku because the language, it can mean so many different things. So I have I think that would be a herculean feat to do a proper translation of any japanese author at least he is probably easier to work with like you Mm. said uh, mirakami was your introduction to japanese fiction mine was actually natsume sozeki so i was more into the classic japanese and that reads a lot different Mm. Uh, the meiji period japanese has the western influence but it's still very eastern Murakami right. doesn't read Eastern to me at all. Like if you said no. every story in Moscow, London, any major metropolis, you wouldn't really it wouldn't be out of the ordinary what stories he's telling. Like it wouldn't be that different.
2: No, you're right. And I think for example, between the three of us, right, we could like we could go away for a, for a, for a month and we could write a couple of short stories each in the style of Murakami, right? And I'm not saying we'd sell millions of copies, but we could kind of like put on the, you know, the moustache and the glasses disguise and kind of approximate a Murakami short story collection. You take something like, I don't know, Secho Matsumoto, right, who, you know, like I really love that Inspector Imanishi investigates what they call game fiction, which is like crime novels, right? And it's all about like Inspector Imanishi trying to solve a novel based on a train on a train timetable and it becomes like millimetric. Well so he has to be here at a certain time, and he has to interchange there, so could he have murdered her at this time right and it's like really post war stuff. I would have a really hard time imitating his style right because we're going back seventy eighty years, and even though like some of it is sort of like based in in that period in time, I would have a real hard time trying to live in that voice in a way where I think not just me but all of us could probably sound like Murakami if we wanted yeah he has
0: he does that kind of reminds me of a thought experiment i think we did i don't even remember how many episodes it wasn't because we did a translation episode of maybe last month where yeah. i read because i was i wanted to get a copy of the brothers karamazov and I was trying to find the proper, tra- like, a, the best translation. Which you can't say there's a best translation. Anything normally. So, the, like, the the least shit translation, I guess. Right. Uh, but I read excerpts from ver- all the various most popular translators, and they were just vastly different. Didn't change the meaning, but just the way you read it and the enjoyment factor. You know, do you want more academic? Do you want more uh, like humorous? Like, every- it could change the whole tone of the book just on cool. the translation. But. The thought experiment we did some, this is probably months ago now, I was wondering, could you actually say James Joyce? Could you say James <laughs> Joyce is the greatest Irish writer of all time when he didn't speak Irish and he didn't write in Irish? I say no, because right. if you had, let's say, Dostoevsky, if he only spoke Russian and he only wrote, or I mean, he only spoke English and he only wrote in English, you couldn't say, I don't think you could say he's the greatest Russian writer. Right. So Mirakami, even though he writes in Japanese, the fact that he is not inherently Japanese in his style, Mm -hmm. he actually goes against the Japanese style of fiction telling. From when he came out, like I said, now everything's more homogenized. So you have so much Western influence now that a lot of Japanese writers they kind of write in a Western, like I guess, just to get more of a global appeal. But when he first came out, there was he was coming off like the heels of Yukio Mishima's writing. Like, that was like the literary giant of the time. So, when you're coming off this very Eastern, Buddhist centric type of style, and then you go into a completely Western style, can you say he? Because a lot of people consider Mirakami the greatest Japanese writer now. Right. They suspect that he's been a runner up in the Nobel Prize for the last, I don't know how many years. We won't know that for what is like 50 years, and that gets released, right. but. I personally, even if I was still a huge Mirakami fan, like when I first started reading his work, I would not say that's a, I don't think you could say that.
2: I mean, you know, I think that because that's a really good point or, or, you know, that's an interesting point because so there's two things to that, like him being kind of quintessentially Japanese. I know that from conversations I've had in Japan about him. So two things. First of all, um, often in Japan, it's actually the other Murakami. It's actually Ryu Murakami, who is in many circles considered like as big of a deal um, of the two Murakamis than Haruki is, right? Like he's been around longer. I don't think in Japan it's a foregone conclusion by any means that he's like the one. So that, that's first of all. The criticism that you hear about Haruki Murakami in Japan, anecdotally, I've heard that word two or three times. Um, so there's a word which is batakusai and batakusai roughly translates to stinking of butter (laughs) meaning you're 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 western right you're 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 whether you're trying to sort of ape westernness or whether you're just coming off that way it's kind of like insulting word for someone who's trying to be like a western guy right the idea that he would be kind of quintessentially Japanese like I'm sure he wouldn't give much of a shit right because I've heard him be quite sort of not defensive, but I've heard him be like, he doesn't enjoy, I think, having his work characterized to him. Like I've seen him in interviews, kind of shut that down. But I think the, the the flip side to like whether or not we could consider him as like Japan's greatest writer is kind of like when people are saying that, it's like, well, how many other Japanese authors have you read? You know, it would yeah. be like if if you asked, you know, I don't know, like a like a busload of Chinese tourists in England, who, who's the biggest uh, English author? And they turn around and say, J.K. Rowling, right? Yeah. Like, that's actually not even a bad parallel because I do think, given their incredible levels of success between the both of them, there are certain books, let's say in the case of J.K. Rowling, or in the case of Murakami, where once you're reaching a 1,000 pages in length, where is the editor saying, no, you're taking the piss? Mm-hmm. Yes, are successful, right? Yes, everything you touch turns to gold, but you are essentially breaking the contract that the writer has with the reader, right? I'm not saying no books can be a thousand pages long. What I'm saying is once, you, once you're a rock star, you can do what you like. And I think that's not always for the best. Like we, we spoke about IQ 84. On the front cover, of, so for anyone who hasn't read that, on the front cover, there are two moons, right? You can see like two moons. So spoiler alert for anybody reading it, there are two moons in the sky. So by page 700, by the way, and it's part one, by page seven hundred, there's a line where the main character is like, "There could be no doubt. There were two moons in the sky," and you're like, "Mate, it's on the front cut. Like you told me this on page one. Do you know what I mean? I'm seven hundred pages deep. Like respect <laughs> my time a little bit more. I- I'm not saying everything has to be an airport thriller, but just you reach a point where that that for me anyway that was the moment where I was like, I-, I think I'm done with this guy. So yeah, man. I I wouldn't. I would agree with you. I don't think he's necessarily the kind of." the emblem of Japanese literature, for sure there are, I, I could boil you off a list of 10 people from Japan. I'd rather read before him. But I It's think funny one- you
0: say that book, by the way, because that was the first Mirakami <laughs> I ever read. <laughs> really? Yeah, and I do get wow, the so problem I'm with the reiteration. Yeah, the, the reiteration was definitely an issue because you would, well, it was broken up into three books, but over here it was one big book. And uh, I finally was able to get an English edition that was broken up into the original three books. But the problem was it's still not even, I don't even think it was just every book that it reiterated everything that happened. There's just a lot of repetition. And like the moon thing was a great example. It's just like, come on, I get it now. Like waste of fucking time.
2: And you know, and I think like if, if somebody in world literature has earned the right to do whatever they want, you know, just purely from a commercial point of view, you know, he's in the mix, J.K. Rowling's in the mix, but I I just do feel that, like, I think what drives good writing is the belief that you're never one bad book away from being shit again, Mm -hmm. right, never one bad book away from being an amateur again and writing in your spare time and the rest of it, like, I don't know if you heard any of the controversy with the J.K. Rowling book, but it's like a thousand, the last, well, not the latest one, but the one before, it's like called The Black Heart or something like that, or The Ink Black Heart, and it's like a thousand pages long, and I've flipped through it from cover to cover. I only read the first chapter. But like a third of it are just made up tweets. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, you could have shown me four of these. yeah, And I would have been like, okay, the main character is transphobic or whatever. And people on Twitter are smashing her. Like, I'm with you. 500 pages in, it would be like, at, you know, drunken Scott. Oh, what a bitch. You're dumb. You deserve to die. You're like, people who love your work aren't coming to you for this. And I'm not saying you haven't earned the right to do what you want, but like there's a difference, like you mentioned up top about, there's a difference between doing something different and taking a risk and then just doing the first thing you thought of because that subject matters to you. Because you go, hey, I like jazz, I like spaghetti. I like beer. So that's my books now for the next decade. (laughs) Or or for JK Rowling to be like, hey, I don't think trans people are okay. So that's my next book for a thousand pages. That's different, man. You know, anyway, this is a separate run. We'll we'll do the JK Rowling. (laughs) next time
0: yeah <laughs> i would have to read one of her books first i haven't read any jk i never even read the harry potter shit no. i just didn't care
2: you know though so i was working in a bookshop when one of those uh, harry potter books came out and i'd only heard the name and i saw like grown men like bankers going to work on on the train reading those books so in the bookshop i picked up one of the whatever you know harry potter books it was and after like a chapter i was like oh this is a fucking kids' book," mm-hmm. like. I hadn't realized that it was for kids. Not that I'm saying adults can't read kids' books, but also maybe read adult books. But like I don't know, it was just such a phenomenon that I was just like, oh, like I hadn't realized these were actually for kids. I thought they were like YA, like at that higher end of it or whatever. But I think that's
0: why her downfall hit so hard for some people that were hardcore fans. Because I didn't give a shit one Mm. way or the other. It's like, oh, this person's a shit person. I don't give a fuck about you. But her books actually did get a large a uh, subsect of the general right. public that didn't read anything to want to read. So, right. you can't take anything away from her for being able to do that, no matter yeah. how generic the prose or the even the stories might have been. It got people interested in reading and I'm always a proponent of that, but sure. e- even well, so, you
2: know, and two things can be true, right? Like I can think that she has shit opinions. Mm-hmm. So, I can also think that she's a good person, like She's someone who is a multi multi millionaire and she's still paying tax as an individual in the UK. So she's getting taxed at like half.
0: Well, she lost right? her billionaire status from giving to charity.
2: Do you know what I mean? Like, so like, even even though I can think that, you know, she has an inhumane opinion about XYZ, she can also still be have her heart in the right place. And there are some people where like I might think that they have correct opinions on stuff but also they're fundamentally like a shit person. Mm-hmm. So it's like a weird thing that I think kind of like the Morrissey thing, but like there aren't, there's like no redeeming features in this case. But do you know what I mean? It's like, it is a really sad thing when when you grow up with a thing and it brought you in to that kind of culture. And then it feels like your own parents are kind of disowning you in a way. Yeah, You know, because it was like, well, you gave birth to me and now you're telling me I'm an idiot, you know? So I think, especially if you were like a queer kid who, you know, you start reading Harry Potter books, and then 10 years down the track, she's like, actually not you. Like, I can disagree with that opinion. But like you say, it doesn't even affect my life, really, personally, let alone if I was like a queer kid. And I'm like, well, the whole reason I love books was because you said friends no matter what. And we're all the same, but except for this one thing. So, yeah, I don't know how we got from Murakami's first novel to, to, to that, but I suspect it was my fault.
0: We should probably do a JK Rowling episode at one point because i get i actually do get requests for that from time to time Say, like, hey why don't you cover any of the harry potter stuff right of the controversy it's like i don't think too deeply on it i just know what i see right. on twitter and yeah. that's usually horseshit anyway so like right. you said a person if they have one bad opinion or line of thinking does that discredit everything good they've ever done right. uh in cancel culture modern well i guess just the world now yes you can't make one mistake or have one poor belief or something that just goes against uh what others believe like you know the mass believes without you just getting dumped and canceled but at the same time like i think there is a line like she could believe what she believes as long as she's not actively harming trans people like if she's going out of her uh, way to harm trans people that's where the problem would come in
2: and, and you know but see i think you've hit the nail on the head there because it's it's not even that she has that opinion because like you say like we can, we, can, we can disagree on stuff and that's her God-given right. But it's more dying on the particular hill. So for example, when the Roe versus Wade thing was repealed like a year ago now, whatever it was, she didn't tweet that day, just as an example, right? Um, and somebody pointed out the next day like, you spent time and money saying that trans people are X, Y, Z, but on this day where women suffered a blow, nothing. you were silent, right? Just like as an example, so, but that's fine. But just if what you're saying is, no, the reason why I smash these trans kids is because I'm worried about women, then it's kind of like you, you kind of have to be consistent. So for me, it's not even about disagreeing on the issue because we can we can do that all day long. It's more the kind of what interests me is why this particular thing, like why is this the hill? There's a guy called Graham Linham uh, Graham, uh, who is an Irish guy who wrote stuff like Father Ted. He wrote like the IT crowd and stuff. He's like a successful comedy writer Who's like made cameo appearances and a bunch of stuff. And he was like married with kids and he was like a big deal on Twitter. And then he started agreeing with her on this subject. And like now his wife has left him. The kids are gone. He's lost his job with the BBC. And all of this wasn't like he just like got cancelled because it wasn't like if he if he comes out on day one and says, hey, listen, this is just my opinion. Right. But I didn't mean to offend anyone. I'm sorry. Right. I think that dies a death right there. But it's when you double down and double down and double down to the point where you're like, we have to let you go. And then your wife is like, I'm leaving you. Like, at what point do you go, okay, even if I think I'm right about this, maybe I'm going to not die on this hill because I love my kids, right? I mean,
0: why would it be so important to you when it doesn't directly involve you?
2: That's my question. And I wonder if part of it is just like, you're so used to being the good guy. You're so used to being on the right side that When you suddenly think, shit, like, am I actually wrong? Like, am I the bad guy here? I think that must be so terrifying. If, like, your whole brand is, like, you're the cool Twitter guy and you're, like, on the right side of everything. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, no, then they they must be wrong. You know what I mean? It's just, but like I say, it's not, you know, people are free to have all kinds of shitty opinions. I just think it's weird that, like, that one particular shitty opinion would be, you know, the plat du jour on this particular day. (laughs) I'm going to bust down the doors to get, you know. It's just, I don't know, it's bizarre to me.
0: Well, when we had Dr. Caporelli on a few episodes ago, one of the things we brought up was the fact that modern society has a real problem with self-reflection. So right. you, how could you ever think you're the bad guy if you don't stop and confront your beliefs? I mean, you had to do that every once in a while because sometimes you can, you know, maybe it's even no fault of your own. You just don't think too deeply on it. You go down a certain path and then all of a sudden right. you're hating a group of people and you don't even know why you're doing it. Right. Just because, you are you know, you're the people that you follow hate on those people. So all of a sudden it's like, well, I agree with them on most things. So I might as well just agree. I I just automatically agree with it. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to agree with everything. But you need self-reflection, which people are afraid to do.
2: So so let's say I I I mean, I don't like I'd rather kill myself. But let's say I was giving Russell Brown $60 a year (laughs) right, (laughs) to subscribe to his fucking whatever bullshit he does. So I just momentarily got lost in how much I fucking hate Russell Brown. Let's say if I was (laughs) to like basically pay him to tell me stuff that I already like, I'm paying somebody to tell me stuff that says to me, Hey, actually you're not an irrelevant dad from the Midwest. You're actually somebody, right? You actually have correct opinions. You actually see the truth that the rest of the sheeple don't Right? to my mind. It's like, well, if I've given him $60, I can't then suddenly turn around and be like, well, hold on. Russell's gone a bit too far this time. Yeah. You know, you you have to be like all in. And I think these kind of wedge issues, like in the UK, they call it dead cat politics. Like me and you are debating an issue that's affecting our livelihoods or or whatever it might be. And then somebody just puts a dead cat on the table. And now we're not talking about taxes. Now we're not talking about freedoms. We're talking about the dead cat on the table, right? Like, so here in the UK, the the trans thing has come up because – a young trans woman she was murdered by some kids at school basically because she was trans and then in prime minister's questions this week the leader of the opposition had the mother of the victim there as basically his guest and one of the criticisms the prime minister had against the leader of, of the opposition was that he doesn't even know what a woman is right and he's saying that in front of right so then of course it caused great offence that you would use this as the kind of the butt of a joke mm-hmm. but more so you know, in this woman's presence and the rest of it. Do I think he does that because he genuinely feels that way? Or do I think he just thinks this is politically expedient? Because if we're talking about this trans thing, we're not talking about all our other failures. And I think 90% of the time, the people who are most upset about this shit are the people who tend to be the least affected by it, right? Like, you you choose to be upset about this side shit because if you were to, as you say, stop and reflect on actually... What's happening in your life and how maybe how you feel hopeless because you're being done over, then that's a horrible place to be. Who wants to live in that reality? I'd rather listen to Russell Brand tell me you, you've <laughs> got it right. And yeah, I mean, you know, I say that ironically. I'd rather kill myself. But right. I think self reflection is a dangerous thing if you are wasting your own time, you mm-hmm. know, if you are living in a little echo chamber. Who wants to self reflect?
0: In the US, it's usually the ones who. Cause these outrage changes to go about whether it's you know the changing of a football team's name or whatever it is, it's always some like young white women <laughs> that are offended for a race or a group or something like you said, somebody that like it doesn't really affect them. The issue doesn't affect them directly, but they take up this moral compass. We lost our network connection. Okay,
1: hmm. that's
0: not Let's smoke some crack.
2: you back? He is yeah. back again. Hey, All right. my bad. I don't know what happened
0: there. I mean, we're across the Atlantic, he so fell. we're bound to have some issue. Actually, I'm surprised because I think the last time you were on, we had like a significant lag. There's no lag this oh. time, so that's good.
2: Oh, weird. Um, Maybe Russell Brand, Russell Brand fans heard yeah. what I was saying.
0: I know there's 4chan and Russell Brand yeah. enthusiasts. They definitely watch everything we do. So you gotta watch oh. out. They'll hack us. Um, let's go oh. back to Mirakami, though. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know how he got on to. <laughs> we, we went from like, shit to worse shit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we went to JK yeah, Rowling yeah. to fucking Russell Brand.
0: Yeah. I'm really afraid yeah, Ben like, Shapiro's coming up next.
2: <laughs> Russell Brand has to be like the bottom. It has to be the end. Like, that's as uh, far as you can go. Uh, it's pretty. You know what? He.
0: I will mention, I will say one more thing about Russell Brand before we move on. <laughs> One thing I think is so, why these people become so popular and it, it offends me so much is because at the beginning when Russell Brand was just your ordinary pseudo intellectual douchebag, he was tolerable and he did have some points that you can agree with. And then he went down whatever wormhole he went down. But it's when you see these people that start off a certain way and then you're you watch them from a distance and you go, oh. This isn't how this guy actually thinks, probably. He's just Alex Jonesing, oh, yeah. I'm gonna sell you on shit yeah. and you're gonna pay to reaffirm your beliefs. That's all it is, I think.
2: Right. right. If if you were to stick a gun in the face of Alex Jones and say, Mr. Jones, swear to me that you believe the frogs are gay. <laughs> Right? You think that motherfucker would believe it? No. He's just trying to push his supplements, man. Like you don't even have to
0: go that far. We saw him in court. He said, "Nope, it's parody. This is all just an act. I don't. Um, this is a character I play. I don't believe any of this shit." And right. then he goes out and you know storms the capital. Uh, so right. anyway, I think Haruki Murakami mm. is one of the. I think one of um, the reasons he became so popular is because he's a very quotable writer. He yeah. has a lot of literary elements that come through in quotes that you can read and go, Well, goddamn. Now, that's just a beautiful way to phrase it. And the meaning behind that is very deep. And then you don't realize he preceded that by talking about farts. And mm. he, you right. know, after that, it was about like dog fucking or something weird. Right,
2: right, right. And I use that well, example because that was crazy. actually in one of the stories yeah. we read. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Okay, right. No, I was going to say, You've got a rich imagination. You yeah. know, like a. But hey, it's better than like fucking earlobes, you know? So. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's with the earlobe thing, but I do think it's funny that I don't know if, like, like Mirakami to the US audience is kind of what, like, we think of as the Japanese Stephen King. So yeah. he touches on literary elements, but he is, and he's, that's weird because he's not a genre writer really at all. I don't know. I mean, J- Japan—they have genres, you know. I've read crime fiction and things, but he's not a genre genre writer. But I wouldn't say he's necessarily a literary writer. But the closest comparison he's we get—his
2: own genre, man. He's yeah, kind of, like made his own Murakami. I
0: shelf. think that's why he's stood out the way he has. Uh, but you brought up Ryu Murakami. The only thing we've read from him is uh, "Coin Locker Babies," but mm. I really dig yeah. his like so far. I dig his style mm. of writing. Like I. It's it's still Japanese-esque. It's not very it's not as western as uh, Haruki Murakami, but mm-hmm. I find it's very engaging. That I mean, like when a you start harshness a, to it. Yeah, I mean, when you yeah, start that,
2: a, the, that, honestly Spencer, that's the word. He his he, he is raw. Like he's not messing around, you know. So the thing we know about Murakami is that like he he owns a jazz bar called Peter Cat and you know, he's running this jazz bar and then he starts writing a book. And sometimes it feels like a jazz bar guy just kind of stumbles his way into like being one of Japan's biggest writers. Whereas I feel like Ryuma Murakami it's like if he's in that bar and you walk in, he's gonna be like, "Listen, see, I, I bet you ten thousand yen, I can drink more tequila than you." That's like, you know what I mean? That's the kind of difference. Where here's a guy who's like polishing glasses, and then here's the guy who's like trying to drink you under the table. <laughs> Ryu Murakami, If you get the chance to read *In the Miso Soup*, you can see it's a slim little book. It's, a, it's about like a, a sex tourism guide Kenji who's like I think he's like 18 and an American tourist called Frank basically contracts his services to get a tour of the kind of sex underworld of Tokyo and then stuff starts to kind of go sideways like you read it in a day I read that book and it knocked my fucking socks off like it is as you say brutal like it's harsh but at the same time man it's like there's poetry in there There's, like, elegance in there. And he's doing both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it felt, to me, it reminded me of that first feeling I had with Murakami when I was 13, right? I was like, oh, this is this is the guy. So I think he's worth, for anybody who is interested in Haruki, who kind of, like, is done with him, branch out into Ryu to see who the greatest Murakami is.
0: I think Ryu Murakami is more of a literary Chuck Palahniuk. Like, Mm -hmm. he has these elements Mm -hmm. that are very visceral and they hit you hard. I mean, he opened a fucking book with baby fellatio yeah like you don't get much more like how do you open the first paragraph of that like that's that's ballsy yeah Yeah, you know what a mirakami minute we never said it had to be haruki mirakami so no no yes all
2: mirakami's welcome
0: yeah i'm completely down with doing because we talked about doing coin locker baby it was just a big book so we would have to i can't reread that that was rough it was really good though but yeah i want want want, the miso soup i want to check out for sure
2: Uh, like honestly like you read it in a couple of hours the 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 one for anybody who has read it, the one good fact about it is that they actually were close to making a movie adaptation, and it was gonna be oh, what the hell, I said, it was gonna be William Defoe playing <laughs> yeah. Frank tourist, and I was just like that's the most inspired bit of casting I've ever heard, you know, like there's the crazy like tourist who's got like a weird face mm. like that never came to be, but hey look it's not it's not too like do you know going back to your point about him. Basically playing the same tune over and over again. It's obviously working for a lot of people, or it's, or it's maybe it's because, unlike you guys, people aren't reading the whole bibliography. They're they're, they're hitting the two or three you know famous books, right? And they kind of go, "This is great." One of them, like, and I'm not the first one to say it by any means, but one of the major criticisms I have of him is that once you leave that middle age kind of disaffected, bored protagonist kind of mold that he fills. Every book, and you go into the other characters, there's just not anything there. Like, I'm not qualified to say his writing is like anti feminist, but what I would say is that his female characters are fucking boring. Yeah. They're, they're boring, man. And I think that that's either because he's not trying or it's because he doesn't care. Um, there's actually a really interesting interview for anybody who cares about Murakami where he's interviewed by uh, Mieko uh, Kawakami who wrote um, Breast, uh, uh, Eggs and Breasts, or Breasts and Eggs, and is kind of known as a, a kind of feminist writer, or is just a writer who happens to have feminist views. But it's really interesting because she kind of grills him, and you can tell she really fucking respects him, and you can tell she really does take her hat off to, the, to what he's achieved. And even the rapport between them, you can see, like, they get on. But at the same time, she holds it up to him, you know, she, and because he says, well, I reject that I have a single characterization of women in my books, which like, I'm here to tell you, read like five of his books, right? And she's like, well, with respect, even just in our conversation about some of the women in your life, in your life, you've kind of used these tropes and these sort of stereotypes. So even just in conversation, you're doing this, right? And essentially his argument was like, well, you know, like my books are like a Rorschach ink blotting. So if you see sexism in there, that's what you see. But that's not what I intended which I always feel is kind of like a bullshit. Yeah. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I don't know. So I think that's kind of one of the main criticisms, I think. If you can't write women on any level, right, like, and look, pick, pick any one of a trillion books, but like, you know, if a man can write Clarice Starling, right, like if, a man can, if if a man can do that and create, you know, a lasting seminal character and you're there, like tell me one female character he's written.
0: You know, it's funny. That might be the only Japanese-esque thing in Mirakami's writing is the treatment of women. (laughs) Just the sexism. The old school, one-dimensional view of women that the uh, Japanese... I don't think they... I mean, some still hold that view, but not as bad as it used to be, but for... Like when Mirakami was coming of age, definitely women were treated almost as second class citizens.
1: Well, like that, uh, was it the cue ball or the pinball one? Where he had like two yeah. girlfriends, but they were so bl- like they're just weird, yeah. yeah and like it, it and... was, it was hard to like tell the difference between the two of them. They didn't even men. have names. No, yeah, they didn't have names.
2: <laughs> well, and you know what's interesting as well is like they always, always fuck the main character. Oh, yeah. they never fuck the main character. You know, uh, there was one oh, I can't remember what it was. It might've been like one of the later ones or no, maybe it was Norwegian wood. And at any rate, it's like a guy starts sleeping with his best friend's girlfriend. And then she's like, you know, with him, I could never come, but then with you, I can. And you're just like, <laughs> wow, what a guy. You know? like, and it's like, you know, that Reddit thread of like, and then we all clapped, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of got that like energy where you're just like, Oh, hats off. What a guy, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm not qualified to talk about his you know books being feminist or anti-feminist. I'll just say his writing beyond the prism of a middle-aged guy who's into jazz is just boring and I've sold seven books in my life, right? So like people in glass houses but just just kind of sit with it a little bit, right? Like a guy who is able to write as well as he is. Like you take um the book he wrote um Underground, the non-fiction book about the Sarin Gas attack. That book, which for me is the best thing he's ever written, I guess it's unfair because it's nonfiction, but I, I would challenge anybody to read that book and not be fucking blown away. Everything from the descriptions of the attack, the descriptions of being breathless, right, as this chemical takes you over, the interviews that he does with the victim. I mean, it's interesting because I think that book is called uh, Underground um, and it's like it's, it talks about the gas attack and then it says, and the Japanese psyche. Mm at first you read that title you're like hold on relax right like but it is a book about not just about the event but about the way in which the victims and even the people connected to them relate to victimhood how they talk about going back to work how they talk about being not being able to talk about it and stuff there's a thing in japan and i preface this by saying you know i do really love that country and you know that country changed my life and so i will always adore it so if my criticisms come They also come in the way that I criticise Spain or America or England or any of the places that I've kind of lived and love. But there is an awkwardness there when talking about pain. There is an awkwardness there when talking about trauma that I think we kind of left behind in especially the US. And so when he's talking to these victims in that book and interviewing them, he said the reason he did that was to get beyond the sensationalism of the way the media represented that case, which was just crazy. This happened. That happened. And the people who got left behind were the victims. So the fact that that was even in some way kind of original or or, or or fresh to do, when you read that book, you realize this guy is a craftsman. This guy is an artist. And I just think if you're able to do that when you're talking to real people, then you are able to write one book with a female lead who is convincing that you're interested in it. You're able to do it man, because you can write.
0: That is what my biggest grievance with Mirakami is. He's an excellent writer, like he can he's capable fully capable of doing what you just said. Why doesn't he? like my favorite Mirakami is probably Kafka on the Shore, and that's one right. of his most imaginative, interesting uh metaphorical books mm-hmm. and it's very dreamlike and it doesn't out of all his books that I've read it's one of the few that don't have all the Murakami tropes that just, you know, kill you to death. If they're in there, it's, it's not as ham fisted. The hard boiled wonderland. I really enjoyed too. Again, you go into weird underground labyrinths and Mm gene, which is funny because that actually brings in his other tropes of, you know, labyrinths and weird wells and stuff like that. Uh, But those are at least more interesting tropes to have Mm -hmm. in his books. And it's cool, too, because he actually invented his own tropes. Those aren't tropes that were in fiction before. Not everyone was writing Mm -hmm. about wells and what it looks like to view the sky from the bottom of a well and things like that. But at the same time, it does get overused eventually. Uh, if you were right. reading Mirakami in the 80s and early 90s, you would feel like this was a very fresh writer. If you read up to like Killing Commodore or anything else, you're probably like, okay, I get it. This is fucking too much. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because I-, I think it was maybe Wind Up Bird Chronicle where having read Hard War Wonderland, maybe it was Norwegian Wood after that, but quite quickly I ended up with the Wind Up Bird Chronicle within a few years. Um, and that was one of those things where you start off with basically just a guy talking about his boring life. And I was kind of already on board because I was so interested in Japan. And like, I think people kind of forget, like there was no internet on my phone, like the internet existed, but like I'd have to go to the library yeah. or my house or whatever. So, that, so the, the kind of the lens through which you can access kind of like other information was a lot more limited back then. Right. I mean, like I'm 39 now and be 40 soon. And it's weird that we kind of forget that kind of almost pre-internet age. So it really did feel like he was opening a door to like a kind of Japanese normality to me. And I think a lot of people might've been like, all right, this guy isn't doing anything. But then bit by bit, it's like, well, now, you know, now my my, my cat is missing. And then I'm worried that there's this one guy who's like out there like butchering them. And And it's weird how life takes turns because when I made my podcast about the Setagaya murders or the Miyazawa murders, um, which came out in 2022 it's called Faceless, available everywhere. Where part of that case was in that park where the family lived, where they were murdered, cats were being killed and maimed and tortured. It was like a real thing that was happening, right? So it's just like weird how life takes turns. They ended up catching that guy, um, but he protested his innocence, which is actually quite rare in Japan. Like normally you say, I did the thing and I'm sorry, whatever. Mm. He was a guy who worked in a bank, he was like, This has nothing to do with me. Pin this on me, so on and so forth. But anyway, all of that to say that book reels you in slowly, and it's just an average guy living an average life. And there's a little shard of weirdness, this like little fragment of weird glass that he steps on with the cat. And then it starts to build and build and build. And like, by the time you, and I don't know if I'm maybe confusing books here, but by the time you reach like the World War II stuff, where the guy is like torturing his victim with like a little apple knife, yeah, he's filleting them. He's playing him. You're like, hold on, how the fuck did we get here? You know, and that's like 700 pages in or whatever. So he clearly does have the ability to like build world. But I do think that when it's just the same world over and over again, you kind of end up with the kind of Star Wars-itis where, you know, when you see Star Wars as a kid, you're like, what happened? But by the time you get to this last one, you know, where there's just like, and then this happened, and then this happened, you're like, you just got no more ideas now, right? Like you just this is just
0: that right well if you look at the work of john steinbeck a lot of his stuff takes place in the salinas valley and his stories could easily follow a mirakami of it's just the same story over and over like the story elements are different or the story elements are the same even if the plot is different uh john steinbeck didn't do that it's always different characters different perspectives different point of views mirakami it's always just this middle way i think like i said i haven't read killing commodore i think that's the title of it that was I want to say 2014 that came. I think that's his last fiction novel, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And I'm pretty sure the synopsis of that is out of work artist, <laughs> probably middle <laughs> age, walks around, gets in a weird, wacky adventure. Maybe, he, maybe he doesn't find a cat. Maybe it's a dog. Mm. Ooh. Right, right, right. He meets some teenage girl yeah it's just fucking it, it does it gets boring i think if you Mircom is one of those ones when you get into him and he's new to you it's very fresh it's just right. once you get the repetitive okay he's talking about charlie parker again what is it, the fifth book uh, i read charlie parker comes well, up
1: yeah mm-hmm. like they like he. nick it was like talking about earlier it was like he's probably not one of those authors you want to read like back to back it's like you read one like read one of his books a year maybe that's what i was telling him off air i read one maybe a year yeah, and then so like yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. like that you won't get that as hard yeah right. definitely and he is
0: i mean there's just so many times you can fucking talk about the transmission of a car and just like
2: right you
0: get it it doesn't need to be reiterated in every book And he's capable of writing the psyche of people, so why doesn't he do that more? Why doesn't he take a literary slant on the characterization of people versus just the the themes that he might touch on? Because, you know, he always talks about the themes of loneliness and connecting with people, and usually it's the same themes, too, that, that come up in his books, but take a literary slant. Make a character that's completely different from anyone you've ever written. Maybe a female lead that isn't some... Dunderheaded, bland person maybe they don't just eat noodles and spaghetti and drink coffee in the morning and have a beer and go through this mundane routine over and fucking over again maybe they do something different maybe they actually have a real job and they have to navigate some kind of weird scenario outside of their job I, I don't know why we can't do that but apparently Mirakami well, like, does not he, want he to
2: all of these novels right okay so, so I'm just riffing here right? so this would be shit what if his <laughs> next novel what if his next novel were like 10 of the young women that these middle-aged guys have fucked, right, in Murakami Land, they get together, right, to plan the murder of one bad, like, Murakami protagonist, right? Right? So you could even reuse characters you've already come up with. You don't even have to, like, come up with a new one, right? But, like, now we're 10 years on and, like, her life has been messed up by this guy, even if he didn't mean it, right? And so now she's, like, plotting a revenge. Just give, like, one female character a an emotional driver I want to get from A to B I, fuck that guy I want to hurt him right or I want to rob the bank or I want to find my sister or I just want something as opposed to hey this middle aged guy who likes jazz wants to see my tits so here they are <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know man like
0: his characters don't like, really have motivations in most of his no, work like,
2: I'm not saying this doesn't happen in real life like people do do stuff because they're lonely or they're bored or whatever and I'm not saying that He has to like follow the hero's journey and all of that. But just like after a certain point in time, I'll ask this back to you. Has he just reached a point where he's like, I'm a millionaire by just saying the things that I like to say? This is what people want. So I give it to them. You know, is he just Billy Joel playing the hits?
0: It's very possible. I mean, he might have reached the point where any literary elements that he had in his work, he's run that well dry. And now he's just left with the story that he's already told numerous times. Uh, and, right. and the frustrating thing is like, I've read Miracom these stories where they're so unique and enjoyable that don't have any of his characterizations. For instance, He did a story that was uh, the reverse metamorphosis by Franz Kafka, Mm. where a bug (laughs) a bug turns into Gregor Samson, Mm. like a bug wakes up as Gregor and has to go through the life of him instead of being a bug. I was like, I love that. It's fucking weird, and it's just the reverse on a a story that was already weird, and he did it really well. But. And and I think in it was either it might have been the elephant vanishes. We read that story about like gnomes in a factory
1: or something weird. Well, it was like the people like they were making elephants. Yeah, and then not was like not only because the, like there was that that weird element, but there was also. These gnome people out in the out in the woods that would like try to tempt you away. Like yeah, it was just all of it was so
0: bizarre. But that's what I want from. Like, I want a novel that's set like that. Well, for why do we even have to have just human characters? Well, he can mm. write anything. Why are we just sticking with these? Uh, I mean, I guess they're tried and true, and if people keep buying it, maybe you're right, Nick. He doesn't well, care anymore. He's well, not motivated to well, put out fresh work.
1: Well, you bring that up, and we don't know if you if you if you've seen this yet, but. Uh, he just came out with a collection of manga stories or, right. or comic book stories, and one of them is like frog is like frogs, I think.
0: It's all the I think it's just a lot of his most famous short stories, but they did a uh, manga adaptation, so it's just like mm. somebody drew the stories and put them in English. But like I'm in, mean, we I got the we got the first volume. The second one actually drops, I think, in April. You could, I want to say you could pre order it. So I'm interested to see how that comes out, if maybe a medium change changes the way the stories unfold a little bit. Maybe you can get something more out of them. Like if you had, okay, this is a sidebar here, a little digression. Let's say you did a, just for your sake, since you've only read Here the Wind Sing and Pinball, what if we did a graphic novel version of those? Like we can touch on some more nuanced, I would even say magic. Like you can have yeah. that Mirakami magic actually show up in a visual form and it might read different and in a more engaging way versus just him telling you, oh, and the pinball seemed like it was alive, but it wasn't. Baseball. Baseball, it <laughs> sit on a the occult you know swallows, know I mean? like, you <laughs> know.
2: It kind of reminds me of, you know, when I was a kid and I was playing my Sega, when you reach a certain point where the game is too easy, there you know, as a kid, there's that pleasure of, like, I'm the best at this, right? But it, but, it, but it, it's hollow, right? Because you're like, I'm playing on easy, right? So like now I need to like set the difficulty, right? I need to like change the difficulty, right? Make it harder. Now, I mentioned that because I feel like Murakami has been playing on easy for like a decade now. There was this one novel uh, I read, I want to say like maybe at least 10 years ago. It was a German book or maybe Austrian book called uh, Nightwork. Uh, in German, I think it was like "Der Arbeiter Nacht," and it's by, by a guy called Thomas Glavnik. It's called Nightwork, anyway, um, and it's about a guy who wakes up in Vienna, and he wakes up and something has happened, and he's the only guy left in the city. And he doesn't know why, doesn't know what's happened. Everyone is just gone, so he has to kind of. There's no real like point to it, but he's trying to work out like what the fuck has happened here. And I mentioned that because I would be interested to see what Murakami would do by raising the difficulty and instead of just saying to himself, I can just say whatever I want to say here and just lean into all these tribes. Do something like say, there are no other characters in this book. Let's just say, as an example, there is only this one guy, right? There are no teenage girls. There are no jazz bars, right? Or whatever it might be. But but to put some, you know, to to kind of take down the lanes on the bowling alley, right? To, to put some kind of stipulation on on the on the story that forces his writing into a new kind of paradigm because like I say right like the the publisher isn't going to be like no right like stop writing the same thing because they know they've got a surefire hit every time but I just would find it interesting just as a thought experiment to see what Murakami would do with like a version of like this book Nightwork, right? Or something along those lines. You know, just to see where he goes with it. Because my feeling is like you like you said, you know, he is a fucking really good writer. And I think he could go and kind of in a fresh direction. But not if it's just like, give us more of what you got. Just play the hits.
0: Well, you have like a Cormac McCarthy who's never written the same book twice. Every book he's written is right. vastly different from the other books. Then you have a Hemingway, for instance, who every book he's written is written in the same exact style, but the book is different and it reads different. Right. That's why you can read For Whom the Bell Tolls and uh, The Old Man in the Sea, and you might hate one of them and love the mm-hmm. other where someone else could come along and it's the exact opposite. Right, Mirakami, I've never really had that. Like When I look at reviews, it's either you just don't like Mirakami or right. you like Mirakami. There's not much of an in between with people uh, because if there's an in between, you just probably wouldn't read them.
2: Right. Well, you know, you know, I, I've because that, that, that's an important point in the sense that, like, I feel like you and I are both saying the same thing, which is he can really hit some highs. But the problem is, is if it takes 30 swings to knock one out of the park, mm-hmm. right, then you kind of have to be there for the 30 swings. Whereas if you see him hit a home run the first one, I mean, I don't know anything about baseball, so mm-hmm. this is like, Budgy ground for me to try and get into this imagery <laughs> but, but you know what i'm saying like if, if the first two or three you read you're like this is a new flavor for me and i've never i've never tried anything like this before you can see how that becomes an addictive thing so i feel like the people who are like this is my jam see where you are in 30 books time yeah you know you, know, you are at the end of the bibliography if you're still into it then then you're a fan you know like more power to you but i feel like we can't be the only ones who are like you know i really love this guy 20 years ago, now where I am, you know, you can take in like in musical terms, right? Let's, let's think of many examples, right? Just like off the top of my head, like I grew up in London in the kind of the Britpop movement, right? You could take a band like Blur and where they were in the mid nineties in the pop charts getting number ones versus where they are now. They're two separate. Mm -hmm. Like if you know the same people, you'd be like, those are two separate genres, Mm -hmm. let alone two separate bands, right? And I just feel like you kind of owe a, you owe that to your, to your listeners. Sure, you can be Billy Joel and you can crank out the hits and people pay 300 bucks to go and see you do the thing, play the piano man, do the thing, right? I, I'm not having a go at it, but just if you have that level, if you have that ability to do something different, I think Cormac McCarthy is a better writer, right? Let's say. But if you do have an exceptional talent, why not take a gamble? Why not... Raise the difficulty level. Why not force yourself into a new thing? You know what I mean? Like, surely even just for you, like at home, does that does that guy not wake up in the morning? Because how old is he? like 17 now. Yeah. Does he not just wake up in the morning? He's like, eh. You know, like I imagine him like Mo from The Simpsons, you know, where he's just like, I don't know, man. Does he not get bored of it?
0: You think he would get bored of it? I would. Like, I couldn't write the same story. I even if I write a short story and then the second short, like I'm going into another short story. If it has even similar ele- elements, I'm bored as fuck. Like, I don't want to rewrite right. it. I don't know how you right. can rewrite the same novel over and over, but I think there is one important element we need to factor in, and that is the fact that is Mirakami possibly just writing for his audience now, and is his audience, you know, the people who Love reading cozy mysteries or watch lifetime movies or whatever it is, where they could do the same thing over and over and over, and they only eat, you know, chicken nuggets and, you know, mac and cheese and like the same meal every day, and it's fine. There are people like that who want the same thing, and it's almost a comfort to them. So I think Mirakami has a lot of comfort readers where. Oh man, you know I, I tried to read some different kinds of work, and I, I, you know, I went on a bad stretch there. I'm gonna go back to Mirakami because he's right. always okay. the same. He's always there for me. I know what I'm getting into. It could be a new book, but I know what I'm getting into, and it's comforting. Well, and I think a lot of people get into that.
1: Yeah, well, I can speak from that from just as like we brought up before of just like the because I'm a big Stephen King guy. There's been stuff that I've read of him, like well, oh, yeah, that has not been as good as other things yeah. and stuff like that. But it is still like one of those things like. When a Stephen King book comes out, I'm gonna get it and I'm gonna read it, mm-hmm. even if I know like it might not be like his best work or whatever. But like I'm a fanboy, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna get it. I'm I'm gonna support it. Like that, you know, like you're saying, like that's just like some people's taste of what what they like.
0: It's like going back to your hometown and revisiting yeah. your favorite haunts. You know, it, this hot dog shop is kind of shit, but. It I used to yeah. go there as a kid and it's it's nice to go back.
1: And I think another thing is that we talk about like you, you know, you guys were talking about like how good of a writer he is. I think that also helps because even though like the stories and stuff all might be similar, that he's such a good writer that it's mm. still elevates it, it somewhat. It's still not yeah. like a as a pain to read. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. I think to to some people,
0: if the prose was completely boring, he wouldn't be famous. Yeah,
2: no, no he wouldn't. the the, the kind of the formula that I think is unique there is that he is writing from Japan in a way that is accessible to pretty much anyone but at the same time that prose is unique you do hear his voice in it and that voice is charming so that kind of accessibility combined with the feeling of like here's a cool guy telling me a thing I think goes a long way it's powerful right and like you know Stephen King is an important one to mention because you, like you say, you, you are going to buy the next book he, mm-hmm. he writes and one after that until he dies, right? But there is a guy who's like done Under the Dome, Stand By Me, mm-hmm. you know, like, and so, like, those are different fucking worlds, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I'm not saying that Murakami's literally only writing the same story because he does write like different stuff. Like this female assassin uses a special, whatever. you know, it's not like. Very it, imaginative. You know, yeah. But, you know, I feel like Stephen King is like, hey, now there's going to be, this story is about time traveling JFK, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. Fine. That, that's the external. That's the external world. The internal world is here's a guy who loves his wife or here's a guy who, who hates his childhood or whatever it might be. But what I'm saying is those internal drivers like go such a long way to, to making readers say to their friend, you've got to read this book, man. and and it could be a love story, it could be a revenge story, whatever it is, but there's just that combination of, like, prose elegance, and like you say, when he's got that, like, you're going to have a good time with any story he tells you, right, because he writes so well. It's like, yeah, like, my granddad is a really good storyteller, but, like, I've heard his stories, you know, and you're like, this is a good one, you know, Mm. the one about the dog in the tree, like, it's a good story. Heard it a million times, you know, so there's that, you know, I, I guess it's like, what we're basically saying is that this guy is like the kind of the thinking man's Jack Reacher, where, you know, that, you know, this, it's, you know the, the big guy comes to town and breaks some legs and gets the girl and then leaves. Right. You know what the story is. It's right? like James Bond. You know what the story is without knowing what the story is. But you also know you're going to have a good time. And I think comfort is the word you use. And I think that's totally fair. man. I think that's a lot of what his current readership is but it's also worth saying that he's always getting new readers.
0: One of the things Mirakami does that I never understood why he doesn't get flack for is his passive writing. Because in writing you're always told unless it serves a purpose, you're not supposed to have the action fall upon the character. You know, mm-hmm. or the like you're not supposed to be passive in your writing. But Mirakami's whole books, not the writing itself is passive. But the actual characters, everything happens to the characters. They're not happening to the world Mm -hmm. at all, usually. They're not the ones that are facilitating anything. They can't get, like, swept up and everything. Yeah, it's just like a middle-aged guy gets swept up and a bunch of weird shit happens to him. And then at some point, yeah, he will go, you know, I'm looking for a cat. There's my motivation. Very weak motivation. But here's my motivation. And then I meet a weird girl and then I find a World War II vet and I'm going to ask him, you know, to tell me some story. Not even, it's just like the guy tells him the stories or, right. you know, were you interested in the cat? No, because your wife made you go find the cat or like this dumb shit right, like right, that. Right. It's like the character themselves almost aren't thinking characters. They're just a blank slate like Neo from The Matrix mm. where maybe the reader can place themselves into that character, works better if you're a middle-aged guy without a job, but right. I think a lot of the times, Mirakami's characters have nothing to do with the action, the actions happening to them. I don't like that element, because it takes away all the risk for the character, if they don't, a lot of times, they don't even care about the outcome. Like, they're these weird passive characters, who are just like, if I died today, that would suck, but at least I got to be in a well and look at weird shit. Like, <laughs> I think you don't care? Like, yeah. why? why are you so passive? Be a little aggressive, have some say in your life
2: like i i would find it like you could almost keep the same story elements you you could have a teenage girl the the, the middle-aged dude listening to jazz and then the world war 2 veteran right you could you could keep the same story but why not have it that the middle-aged guy is obsessed with the teenage girl yeah like inappropriately so and then her granddad has to be like listen pal let me tell you a story when i was in the war xyz that to me it would just be so much more interesting because i'm not saying that all story has to be reduced to like stakes and reversals and now darth vader's actually your dad and all of that but just like like you say just give me something like just tell me something what do you want what do you want (laughs) from this day what do you want from this lifetime some motivation you know like i've heard people say like oh you know it's really interesting to read about japan Because this is one of the things I find really annoying, right? Not that I'm like an expert by any means. Like I'm not fluent in the language and whatever. Like I've spent a bunch of time there and I've done a lot of reading within that world. But like there's this idea that Japanese people are this like homogenous mass and they're all very respectful and they're all very like demure and they're all, you know, very deferential and stuff. And it's true that there are societal norms that are different than, say, in America, right? Like in America, if your boss says a thing and you're in a meeting, you know, there's no problem with saying, well, actually, boss, I think blah, blah, blah. You don't right? do that Anything in Japan. Can't you, can, you can't do that, right? Like, and if, you, and if you do do that, what you say maybe is almost irrelevant. It's more the fact you're saying, right? Like, just as an example. But it does annoy me when people kind of generalize. Like, I've had people say, oh, like, these characters, these in your book, like, they're swearing. And just I've lived in Japan for 30 years and people don't swear this, that, and the other. And I'm like, she's based on a real person who I know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and she swears all the time. So you're telling me that 127 million people are one thing. Like if I said half of the US are all pro-gun or anti-gun, you're like, okay, well, there's going to be a lot of in-between, you know, with nuances and the rest of it, right? So I, I what I find, and all of that to say, what I find annoying is how Murakami almost becomes like a lightning rod for this homogenous idea of Japan. Maybe it's unfair, but what I find annoying is that someone's going to pick up Murakami and then go, ah, Japan. Yeah. Mm. And I don't think that's necessary. Like, if I picked up this, and if I was like, ah, CD, you know, serial killers and like underage, someone would got. okay, maybe this is based on reality, but this is one slice of life, right? The fact that people read Murakami and then see Japan in it, I think is probably speaking to both his, like, strengths, but also maybe his rules too at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you just held up Ryu Murakami's books, and his work is you know you read it you go oh that's not anything that's not the japan i know you don't know fucking Japan unless you live there but even so you might only be getting one subsect of japan it's 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 a big country i'm not a huge country but you know it's got enough people and it's varied enough that there are different areas that have different types of people different ways of thinking and yeah they might be raised the same way or in a similar style but that doesn't mean they all think and act the same way but you know that actually does bring up uh, one thing that might have to do with mirakami's popularity because like one thing like people hate or love about mirakami's work is like the mundane aspects of it so we make fun of the spaghetti making and the mm. you know the mm. the way he pours a beer or the way he makes a uh, old-fashioned and like why is this shown so much i think that's like a verbal asmr like that's the written version <laughs> of that like soft like okay i'm just in the moment and i'm relaxing and it's like a picture well i've done it i've sat there drinking you know a whiskey and just okay this is kind of calming and i'm gonna go to sleep soon and it's fine and that's okay but you have to have a little more to like that doesn't need to be in every book like what it would be unique hmm. if it was one or two books but when it's a, a element in almost everything you write uh it almost becomes its own genre so maybe he has I his own.
2: But that's the nail on the head, right? Because I feel like now there's this prevailing idea where like middle-aged men in Japan are just like, like lonely men listening to jazz. Go to Tokyo, right? Walk down the street at like three or four in the afternoon and you're going to see dads picking up their kids from school, asking them how their day was, right? And there's almost this like weird kind of u- universal idea where like they're very like nobody's emotional. And sure, the way in which people talk about their feelings may well be different from what we're like used to, quote unquote, in let's say the US. But I do feel like he's almost kind of like emblematic or or somehow representative, him as a writer of like what it is to be a Japanese dude. I'm not saying there aren't middle-aged men who like jazz and who are by themselves and the rest of it, because of course there are, right? But like I, I just don't think he speaks for normality in the way that people in Japan might agree with you know like one of my bugbears let's say with Hemingway is I mean I I find it kind of awkward when whenever an author kind of exoticizes any place or nation anytime you're like well the Spaniards do this and they live in such a way where you're, you're like okay relax man like just don't be weird about it you know what I mean whenever you're talking about like a people doing a thing I just feel like you're you're already wrong right because maybe that one guy is doing the thing the way you're seeing, but that's not the whole story. And I just feel like with him, that ASA Martin you're talking about, it's kind of like, it makes sense, and I know why it's popular, but it's kind of annoying because I feel like it's like, oh, so this is what it's like to live in Tokyo. as a 40-year-old. But you're like, well, horses for horses, man. That city's 40 million people. 40 million people. That's like all of Spain in one city. And you're going to tell me there's a way in which a dude lives? I don't know, man. Like. I don't know why it bothers me, but it bothers me. Well,
0: if I only went off of uh, Hemingway for what I know about Spain, then everyone just has this weird mysticism towards bullfighting right. and the grace right. and the grandeur, and you have to be true and brave like my friend Hidalgo right. and just all this fucking horse shit. Right. <laughs> just like, right. that's, there's fucking, you know, I'm sure if you walked around, there's some drunk Spaniards you can run into that are just acting a fool right now. Like they're not, the, right. not everybody is one thing. So I totally get your view right. on, because when I started reading Miracami, other than classic Japanese literature, I have he. I think he was the first contemporary uh, Japanese right. writer I read. So my vision of what modern Japan was outside of manga and anime it was very skewed because I'm like, oh, is this how everyone is? And no, right. it's uh, when we you came on right. for uh, Blue Light Yokohama back in our old shitty mm-hmm. studio, my kitchen. <laughs> um, I think one of the things we talked about, if I remember correctly, was how we appreciated in your book that it's a real Japan depiction, like a Japanese Mm -hmm. that are not all just, Oh, thank you very much. And very respectful. Mm -hmm. Like, no, there's some that swear. There are some that are hard notes. There are some have families. There are some who get drunk and act stupid. Like they're just people. Everyone is just, that's the thing. No matter where you go. Yeah. There's cultural differences, but everyone's just, they're people. We're all humans. So we all think and do similar things. I don't know why we have to have this romanticization of um, different countries just based on stereotypes. Like, you go to, oh, the Irish, they're always just in pubs <laughs> yeah. drinking. Yeah, that's popular, yeah. but that's not all they fucking
2: right. do. But, but, you know, I think that's, those stereotypes, like, they do go so far. I guarantee you, right, if you told 50 people you know tomorrow that you're going to go to Japan next week, I guarantee you, you're going to hear half of them be like, isn't it really expensive there? Yeah. Right? just as an example, right? And like, don't get me wrong, like it's it's like a world city and you can spend a lot of money there, but you can also like have a lunch for like five bucks and you can also stay in a capsule for like $15. So Tokyo can be mega expensive, but it's also possible to live it in a way where it's budget friendly, in a way where like try and do that in Paris. Yeah. Right? Or like try and do that in New York. Like it's a lot harder to do, but it's this hangover from the 80s when it was like a world-leading economy, like pre-bubble, where there were like $500 cocktails with like real gold leaf in them and stuff. So I think that's like, you know, we're talking about 45 years ago, right? 40 years ago. But these hangovers of stereotypes, they just endure. They just last so long that I think it does colour the way in which we see these entire nations, which we've never even been to. Like When I moved to LA, right, I had people in London being like, I'll be careful because it's like dangerous. And I'm like... It's a huge I mean, it's fucking like, place. Yeah. Like, there's, there's yeah, safe like, parts. Right. And I'm like, is this just like an OJ thing? Or is this the riot? Like, what is it you're actually mm. talking about? And they're like, do you know? I don't know why I said that. But it was just, it was in there. Last time I was in Japan, I was in a dive bar with my friend. It was called the Blue Jaguar. Not Jaguar, the Blue Jaguar, because it was spelled wrong. <laughs> and uh, we walked in, and the owner was a guy called Buta, which means pig. And uh, I said to him, why did you call this place Blue Jaguar? And he said, well, the past owner had a car. And it was a Jaguar, and it was blue. And so that's why this bar is yeah. called that. But he's not the owner anymore because, right? Yeah. And I'm like, so it made me laugh, right? Because I wasn't expecting it. This guy walks into the bar like a minute later, just, just like normal looking guy. He walks up and he was like, hey, where are you from? So we get into the conversation. And he says, what's your name? So I told him my name. And he said, Easy Boy. My name is Easy Boy. So, okay, why do they call you Easy Boy said so because me with prostitutes money easy easy money 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 <laughs> money, 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 money right within about half an hour he was like buying us all drinks within about half an hour he was like japanese women are they okay and i was like yeah like nice <laughs> japanese food is it okay yeah very not nice. like you're just asking me stuff if it was okay and then at one point he like tapped me on the shoulder and he had like his he like pulled his dick out he was like he's <laughs> like japanese penis okay and i was like what i'm saying is that like he's not representing Japan. yeah i mean he was a real like like character with an upper case and actually when he did that my friend was having a nice conversation on the other side of the bar and i was like jay jay check Look at it out. <laughs> i pointed like you could see his eye line being like oh what <laughs> <laughs> need but a second my, opinion yeah, is this all right like, no, okay like it's not okay yeah, my, my, my point is, is, like, Easy Boy is no more or less representative of Japan than the jazz guy mm-hmm. that Murakami paints. And it's not like I'm any authority on this, but I just find it weird that, like, we, like if I said to you an English guy, you, we could all picture lots of different types of English guys, right? We could picture, like, Jason Statham, or we could picture, like, Hugh Grant, right? But for whatever reason, with Japan, there's this very solidified kind of stereotype. And I guess what pisses me off is that I feel like Murakami leans into it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because he just he does the same thing over and over again. We end up with that kind of entrenched idea of Japan, and for that reason, he's not a good writer. now, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, Japan is just Tokyo. The U.S. is just Texas, L.A., and New York. Russia's Moscow. Right. You know, Great Britain. You just have London. Like that. This is just the way people think because it's easy. But yeah, I mean, there's so many places. I watch all kinds of uh, YouTube channels that take place all over japan it's so cool like how vastly different rural japan is or you just go to some of the other major cities how they compare to tokyo like nothing compares to fucking tokyo i think it's the most densely populated city in the world obviously it's going to be somewhat expensive compared to you know your average city or town but yeah it's it's funny that people just oh you're going to japan they would automatically assume you're just going to tokyo for one Mm. Right, like right. oh, you couldn't possibly go north and want to go to the onsens or anything, or go south and go to some harbor town. Like no, just Tokyo. That's it. That's all exists.
2: Right. Well, you know, it's funny as well because like, you know, people go with these preconceptions. Like I, I did it. Like so, when I first go, I think it was like 2009 or something like that. And uh, you know, so like I'm in my twenties, right? And I and I've I've read Murakami and I've watched Akira, you know, and I and I've grown up with the anime. So like in my head, I'm like yeah, okay, I know what I'm doing here. I know what the deal is. And then within about half an hour, you're like, Mm. yeah, I don't know what the fuck's going on, right? People do go with this idea where they're going to be like, I'm the foreign guy walking around in Tokyo, like, check me out. They're going to look at me like differently. And don't get me wrong, you know, an old lady will, like, if you sit down on the the train, you know, an old lady will stand up and walk away, right? Just as an example. Or, you know, you might have people staring or whatever. But by and large, in Tokyo, nobody gives a shit. They don't care. They've seen it a billion times, right? They're not like you're just a foreigner who's having a holiday or whatever, right? But at the same time, when you do go out into those rural areas, way different. to a town where you know they might well say, like, so there's this um there's this one island. It's, so it's called the Goto Islands, and it's got uh, the third most beautiful beach in Japan, the in Japan. Right. And to be fair, like if it's the most beautiful beach i would ever seen. Mm. But we're on this little island, and you know, you go to the sushi place and you order your stuff. And the, the lady behind the counter is like, why are you here? And it's just, like, really hard to like answer why, like, it's like like what are you doing with your life? You're like, I don't fucking know, man. Like <laughs> having my sushi or whatever. But like she meant it like like genuinely, like, why have you chosen to come to this particular place? Because we're not getting a lot of tourists, you know, who are coming and staying. So I think part of this kind of charm of Japan, like part of what annoys me about Japan is this kind of idea that it's like mysterious and foreign and exotic. Because a lot of the time that's bullshit. But the flip side is that that stuff also kind of is there in a way where I'm not sure it is in lots of parts of Europe. Anybody who's seen Emily in Paris, let's say, go to Paris, try that shit. See, see, see how charming. See how charming they find you, right? Whereas I think Japan does have these kind of enclaves of kind of remoteness that p- partly of the way it's laid out. It's like thousands of islands, mm. lots of seventy-five percent mountain, no natural resources, zero. Hard work. That's, that's basically the export. So it's just a really kind of unique place. Um, and I think that especially if you've, if you've done a bunch of traveling, like I've been lucky enough to do that, it's not that you start to see the same place over and over again. It's not that. But for me, it was when I got there, I was like, Oh, this is so different. And this is so beyond my sphere of experience, Mm. especially like you have some languages as well, like between English and Spanish and like some French, I could get by most parts. On Earth, that I'd been to. But this was the first time where you land and you're like, I can't say shit. And I'm also a little, yeah. like, I'm looking at the sign and I'm like, all I can remember is like toilet, <laughs> right? Which is only going to get you so far, you know, um in life. So, but look, like, like anywhere, it's a love hate relationship. Like, the, the stuff you love is also the stuff that gets on your nerves. And like you mentioned about the hot dog place,
0: yeah.
2: right? It's like, I love it, but it's also a shithole, but it's my shithole. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, my Japanese actually has progressed significantly over the last few years because, like, I do just on Duolingo too, but I've been doing it probably what, four or five years. Yeah, you've been doing or, it yeah. for a while. And like, uh-huh. so like Spanish was the one I've been doing the longest, so I can read pretty well in Spanish for the like for the most part. So if I, you know, I went to a Spanish-speaking country, I'd be able to read the signs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. My Japanese actually because the Duolingo, I think it was like, probably a year or two ago, they updated a bunch of shit on it. And just the way they do it now, I wasn't able to re- like I could still review the lessons, but not in the same way I used to. Mm. So my actual ability to read like the hiragana has just gone to dog shit for whatever reason. I, I mean, I haven't put enough time into it. But before, like I knew like all of them, I could at least read them. So if it was in that form, like, I could still couldn't read the fucking characters for shit like the kanji. I'm just lost. But like I, you know. A lot of the signs are just in that, so I would have been able to read them. But now it's like, what the fuck was that one again? Is it toe? Is it the? I don't fucking <laughs> yeah. know. Like, yeah, just, I've got like,
2: I've got like pizza, toilet, man. Yeah, like you know, I c- I could form one very limited sentence, right? And like after that, like, hey man, where's the pizza? Mm-hmm. Well, it's I'm so a, frustrating because
0: I was actually able to read at least the the heat well enough that I could read small sentences. Like I can okay. like I might not know what the words were all the time, but even that, like I forgot a lot of the words too, but now I'm on the duolingo, it's like so advanced, <laughs> I'm just fucking lost all the time. so when I just have like these big blocks of paragraphs I'm supposed to read and like you know just Japanese, I'm like I don't know what the fuck this is. I'm just yeah. guessing, so that's that's kind of a wash. I'm gonna continue doing it just because I like it,
2: but yeah, it's not very good. I mean I feel like the best I can kind of like at this point in my life, like the best I can get to is just like if I can get to like semi conversational, <laughs> yeah. Then, then, then I'll sign off on that, man, because I'm never going to get to like, fluent, you know, that's just... To be fair, was,
0: in, in Japanese, if I was in Japan, it wouldn't take me very long to acclimate enough that I could at least say things and... Right. Because, like, the, fra- like, the actual work, that's the easiest part, actually, is the words. It's the reading. Because, like, when I went yeah. into Spanish, I went into it, like, oh, I don't really care about speaking Spanish that much, which is probably stupid. I was like, I just want to be able to read Spanish so I can read some cool Spanish books. And now, like, Spanish speakers, they, they speak too fast for me. So it's right. like when I listen to them, I'm like, I know the words he said, but I don't know. My brain's not forming it fast enough, so right. there's like a delay. But like Japanese, like if you just – because I can't read it really, so if you just spoke it to me, I'd probably get it better.
2: Well, and this it's compound language as well. So like, yeah. like with zero ac- – I mean, if you have the accent, it is going to help. When I was there, my American friend, we, we went past a bakery, and uh, he wanted a bun – So he was like, he was like, uh, strawberry, strawberry. The old lady was like, (laughs) I know, I know, strawberry. ah, that's strawberry. "Strawberry." And he was like, that's the same word. That's what I was saying. I was like, you didn't say it the same. So like, obviously the accent will help. But like, if if like you walk into a shop and you say very clearly, you know, you you can literally say it like that flat. And then like, you're saying because of the compound. In a way where, like, I don't know, maybe in Cantonese, where the inflection... Oh, that's just, yeah,
0: I could never, the fucking, oh, the way you pitch a word means something different. Okay, I'm done. Um, Yeah, yeah. Like, like, Japanese, actually, phonetically, it's very easy. Like, I find the words themselves are very easy because it's just, you know, simple characters. Like, English is way harder if you had to learn English, but what kills me is just mainly the grammar, too, is just, like, backwards and organized yeah. kind of strange but i've been doing irish too i'm probably better at irish than i am japanese now and i've been doing that the least amount of time but the irish language is all over the fucking place and i can't pronounce anything Like yeah. i got an irish version of the hobbit i was like i don't know what the fuck this says like it's, it's, it's you want to talk about something that if, if you want to read something or speak a language that makes you feel like you're actually back in before medieval times that's the one i think
2: oh you're 100 percent well like so on my my mum's side, so they originated from Ireland through Australia. So it's like a hunger ship where, like, my mm. great-great-grandfather or whatever left Ireland to go to Australia, and his surname was O'Shawnak, right, which is, like, of the of the Red Fox clan or whatever the fuck it is, right, like that O, and then Shonock is, like, Red Fox, right, okay. So then he rocks up to, like, Sydney or wherever it was, and the, like, immigration guy's, like, name... And so he's like, you know, my name is whatever, whatever, O'Shawnock. And the the British customs guy was like, the fuck does that mean? How do I spell that? <laughs> so he's like, right, so it's O apostrophe, blah, blah, blah. And the guy's like, wh- what does it mean? And he's like, well, it means like, you know, of the Red Fox clan. And like the guy was just like, right, your name is now William Fox. And just write down F-O-X <laughs> stamp. There you go. And like back in the day, the people were just like, oh, okay. Okay like that's my name now now i can fit in so you've gone from like a long name like that to like a three-letter surname you know so mm-hmm. it's just wild but it's actually funny speaking of gaelic names you know how like caitlin the name caitlin is only a thing that american girls are called mm-hmm. because of the gaelic i think it's kathleen right or maybe it's just catherine one of the two but the gaelic spelling it makes it look like caitlin right yeah so but that's just not a name in or maybe it is now but it certainly was never a name before but it's just someone like phonetically was like oh that's nice and then just like gave that name and there's a really good one i think it's in cuba where you see a female uh given name which is usnavi u-s-n-a-v-i usnavi they got that from the fucking u.s navy ships rolling in <laughs> and it was a- navy and they figured it was like a female name mm-hmm. right because you know how like you give boats like female names like, oh that's a pretty name so you literally get people who called like usnavi fernandez or whatever and you're just like <laughs> your name is u.s navy that's insane like you can't
0: i mean there's a lot of americans that name their kids after uh like luxury cars so you know lexus yeah, and mercedes yeah. and, you
2: know, so. i guess yeah i guess <laughs> US navy,
0: that's different i never heard of that one well this Mirakami Minute has turned into a Mirakami hour and a yeah, half, so yeah. it's probably wrapped this yeah. up.
2: Let, well, let's reconvene for our, our J.K. Rowling. Yeah, uh, yeah. Our Rowling
0: yeah, we'll definitely have to do that. Uh, so I guess the last question is, Mirakami, I have two questions. One, what was the last Mirakami you read?
2: Uh, I think it was IQ84, yeah. All
0: right, and then if Mirakami drops a book tomorrow, are you going to pick it up and read it at some point?
2: And, unless, i tell you this, if it were nonfiction, or if it were about something where I read the blurb and I was like, oh, okay, you've won me back, then maybe. If I like see he's, he's releasing one, and if I see the word jazz or middle-aged or lonely, I'm fucking out, man. Like, sorry, man, but I'm out.
0: It was funny that he was writing about middle-aged men even before he was a middle-aged <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. And he's married. And that, and he's been I'm married not- for like <laughs> fucking 80 years or something. Like, So you're not even a lonely single guy
1: probably doesn't even have any cats
2: (laughs) yeah yeah he probably doesn't even like cats he's
1: allergic to them dog guy
2: all right (laughs) if his next book is about an 80 year old man who fucking hates cats (laughs) then i'm in then i'll read that
0: and he only listens to fucking reggaeton music he hates
2: jazz (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, he's just like really into like bad bunny
0: oh well since you're a guest, even though this is a Murakami Minute, where can the folks listen and find you and read your work and all that stuff? Just do all the promotions.
2: So you can, if you just Google my name, Nicolas Obregon, O-B-R-E-G-O-N, then stuff will come up. I have three books um, about a lonely Japanese detective. I, I, I also do the Murakami thing. He's lonely, but he doesn't like us And I have a podcast about the unsolved Family murders that inspired my first novel, which is called Faceless, um, and that's available wherever you listen to your podcast. And people that was that was award nominated, so it's not just me saying it.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Uh, if you want to check out our stuff, that we probably don't post anything yeah. at DPW Podcast. We are on it's not Twitter it's X, mm, Twitter X, Twitter, Twitter's X. Uh, we are also on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. And I probably should, like, actually start posting stuff because people keep reacting when <laughs> yeah. I do. I just don't really care. I have trouble even posting stuff on my personal one right. people, like, react to shit. It's like, I don't give a fuck anymore. I don't think it's real. It's like reality TV. Like, social media has become reality TV where it's not real. It doesn't matter. I could post anything I want and get a thousand likes and no one's going to read the story that the post is about. Mm-hmm. Like, it just that's how it goes. Anyway, Spencer, you don't have an OnlyFans this week, right? Because no. this is American man. No. You don't get a special name for these. No. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why we did that.
1: Professionalism?
0: I did give you an OnlyFans when Dr. Caparelli was on, but I actually deleted that yeah. because if so people <laughs> listen to that episode, because he was a pastor of 16 years and that joke did not land. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway we will check you out next time um we for the next mirakami series we do which will probably be in a month or two we're actually going to cover the manga stories yeah we'll do volume one and i was debating whether to push it till april just to get the second volume and do them both but we can always just space it out yeah Uh, but
1: we should probably read the first one and see how they are yeah
0: so if you want to jump on that and i'm sure you would love to make sure you buy uh Haruki Murakami's manga stories. I don't remember who the translator and or artist is. So just do your own research. I
1: think they each had a different artist.
0: I think they do. It's kind of funky art, too. It's not manga art, but... And it's not read back. That's what bothers me. It's manga stories, but it's not backwards.
1: No, it's a... I think... If they did, American they, manga. They, yeah, they might. Well, it's just a comic then. Yeah, it's a fucking comic book. It's a fucking <laughs>
0: Japanese Mirakami comic book. Anyway, thank you for listening, and we will check you folks next week with a probably dog shit episode because <laughs> we're going to get the 100th DBS yeah. episode out, and we have to get very drunk for that, but we still have to, I think, one or two more to get yeah. through. So we're trying to, like, the last one, it's awful. Is it? I didn't even edit it yet. It's 30 minutes. Ago. It's, it's terrible. Yeah, it wasn't a good episode. Yeah, so that's going to be out tomorrow, but. <laughs>